Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Some of you may know that uh, in October, my wife and I bought our first house, and we were really excited about it. It was, it was a great house. It was recently renovated, and one of the things I was personally most excited about was the tiled walk-in shower in the master bathroom. I was like, this is going to be great. I can't wait to use it, and when we started using it, that's when the trouble started. First night, Jess goes to take a shower. Afterwards, you know, I see, hey, there's a little bit of water in the basement. I don't know, I don't remember that being there, but we'll see. Okay. Next day, she goes to take a shower. I'm like, wait a second. I wonder if this has anything to do with the shower. So she's taking a shower. I go run to the basement. I get down there, water cascading through the ceiling of the basement, just pouring down everywhere, all over the place. Every, it's coming down through in between the walls, the whole way down into the basement. I go into our first floor. There's a giant puddle of water in our first floor. In the second floor bathroom, there's a giant puddle of water on that floor too. I'm like, oh man, we got a big problem. So we call our real estate agent who contacts the seller who sends out his work crew. They dig a a clog out of the drain. I'm like, okay, awesome. I go to take a shower the next day and I'm like, I still don't trust this. I still don't. So I turn the water on and I go down to the basement to wait. And a minute later, I can hear it. It's flowing through the pipe and then it starts coming out of the pipe, running down in between the walls again. I run back upstairs. I shut it off back on my real estate agent, back to the cellar, back to the crew coming over to work on it. This time they decided, hey, let's actually, you know, snake the entire drain this time. And they find several more clogs that they didn't bother to look at the first time they were in the house. So finally we had a working shower. But now for like weeks, every little creak, every little bump, every little like, what is the next thing to go wrong? Kind of takes away from the excitement a little bit, doesn't it? Isn't it true that often on the heels of something great and exciting comes trouble? Doesn't it seem like that's always the way it is? On the heels of something awesome comes trouble. Well, that was certainly the case for the main character of the story we're going to be looking at today, Elijah. And we're going to be looking at one of my personal favorite passages. There's so much in this. So let's start. What was, the, what was the good thing that happened to Elijah that then ends up somewhere else? So let's start out with the good. All right, so let's recap where Elijah is at. Elijah is a prophet in Israel. Israel is being run by Ahab, a terrible king who has brought worship of Baal into Israel. So Elijah goes, and he's going to confront Ahab about Baal. And so they set up basically what amounts to a contest between the two gods. The prophets of Baal will set up an animal sacrifice altar, no fire. Elijah will set up an animal sacrifice altar, no fire. Each side will pray to their god, 
And whoever can consume the idol is the one true God. So the prophets of Baal pray and pray and pray. Of course, nothing happens because Baal isn't real. Then God shows up, burns the entire altar, and Elijah is shown that God is the true God. And all the people were witnessing this. They were all watching it. And here's the result. This is what happens. In verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 39, it says this. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, if you're a prophet, this is your moment. This is what you live for. This is your entire job, showing people God. And the people have seen it, and the people have responded. It's happily ever after, right? God wins. Elijah succeeds. We can all go home now. End of sermon. We're out early. But we know that's not what happens, is it? The next thing that comes right on the heels of that is trouble. Just when you think life is going so well, when you're finally succeeding, when things are finally where you want them, almost inevitably, here comes trouble. It's amazing how often this happens, and it happens to Elijah. We look at chapter 19. It starts out like this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, you're going to be dead. Just when things were going so well, trouble shows up on the horizon. And this is so true in our own lives. Trouble just never seems to be very far away. I, I, was, I was reflecting back on this recently. Um, I started at Crossroads in March of 2019. And very beginning of March 2020, I was sitting down with Pastor Doug. And I'm like, I've been here a year. I've gone through the whole cycle. I think I've got a handle on where everything is at. We can start going forward now. Boy, it did not take very long for that to be completely wrong, completely off. It just seems to be the way it goes. And trouble comes to us in many forms. Unforeseen illness, job loss, the death of a loved one, traumatic experiences, global pandemics, Markets turn. We get evicted. We have a child who walks away from God. A new boss comes in and is suddenly starting to make our life miserable. One of our children gets sick. And this is not even to mention all the trouble we create for ourselves. We don't have to look very far to find trouble ourselves, do we? All of a sudden, years of putting our kids first in our marriage come back to bite us when all of a sudden our spouse declares we're leaving. Our own relational issues sabotage a friendship. We mismanage our money and we find ourselves in severe debt. What once was something just to manage the pain has now become an addiction. What kind of trouble are you facing right now? 
What's going on in your life at the moment? When trouble comes to us, it inevitably leads to so many feelings, so many emotions. We come down with fear, sadness, sorrow, anger, bitterness, anxiety, and we just get tired and weary. And you see that in Elijah. Listen, listen to the emotion in verse four. I have had enough, Lord. I've had enough. Have you ever been there? That's it. I'm done. I'm out. That's it. And if we're honest, during those moments, most of us spend more than a little bit of our time yearning to get back to normal. It's a question most of us have wrestled with extensively for a variety of reasons over the last two years. When can we get back to normal? When does life return to normal? I know in the early days of us having Olivia, we had some bad days. And it's just one of those things where you just like, when is something going to return to normal? See, when trouble comes to us, there is no small part of us that wants to get back to normal, to get back to the time when this trouble was not our ever-present reality. But what if God has a different plan for us during trouble? What if our goal shouldn't be to get back to normal, but to get back to better? And that's what our series is talking about. That's what we're trying to get to. What does God have in store for us that's better than getting back to normal? What if God wants to use our times of trouble? What if he wants to use them? That's what we're talking about this morning. That's what we're going to explore. So let's look a little bit closer and examine how trouble can impact our lives. There's three specific things that happen to us, three reactions that we can have to trouble. They are tension, trauma, and transformation. So let's look at each one of those here a little bit. Tension is the first one. Trouble creates tension in our lives. A lot of that has a lot to do with our expectations, our personal expectations. So we want our jobs to be like this. And the reality is a lot of times they're like this. We want our family to look like this, but it ends up like this more often than we want to believe, doesn't it? Our relationships. This is what we expect, but so many times we live here. In our relationship with God, we want to experience God like this, but so often it feels a lot more like this. And when our expectations don't line up with our experiences, it creates tension, especially in our relationship with God. See, we are often led to believe that living for God and following God means that we escape a life of, life of trouble. It's just what's in our head. We feel like we should be exempt from it, that we should be away from it. And the same thing was true with Elijah. This is exactly what he was thinking in verse 10. He replied, 
to God. He's like, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You you can hear him saying it, can't you? You can hear it. God, I've done all of these things for you. And now this is happening. Why is this happening? And how often do we think the same thing? Where does this idea come from? This idea that, that we somehow should be exempt or escape trouble. I mean, it certainly doesn't come from the story of our biblical figures or our biblical heroes. Moses certainly didn't. Paul didn't, Esther didn't, David didn't. And we certainly don't get it from Jesus himself. John chapter 16, 33, Jesus says this, in this world, you will have trouble. Kind of hard to misinterpret that one. You will have trouble. All of you, you will have trouble. It's part of the deal. Yet this is where our mind goes so often. And that unmet expectation, can, that tension can put a strain on our relationship with God. We ask, where is God? Why does he allow this? Why won't he take it away? If we aren't careful, that tension can poison us towards what God has for us. The second thing that can happen Trauma. This is the second response, trauma. There's two things that happen with this. Two paths that we can take when it comes to trauma that are really, really unhealthy. We can ignore it or we can dwell on it. So sometimes something so terrible happens to us or something so destabilizing that it causes trauma in our lives. And sometimes we don't deal with it properly. The first thing that can happen is we ignore it We pretend it didn't happen. We pretend everything is fine. And we do this just so that we can get back to normal as quickly as possible. But to do that means that we have to pretend to live in a world that doesn't exist, where something bad didn't happen, where we're really okay, and then nothing has to change. Maybe you've seen this. You had in a fight with your spouse and then the next morning it's like nothing happened. We just don't talk about it. We just move on. Or maybe you've experienced it in your family where everyone just holds family secrets. We don't talk about them. We keep them off to the side. Pretend they don't happen. And a lot of times these things are born out of an unhealthy desire to just get back to normal as quickly as possible. But we aren't really getting back to normal, are we? Reality is left behind. And we do immense damage to ourselves and others when we try to avoid reality. This causes us to get stuck where we are, pining for the past, and it prevents us. It prevents us from developing and prevents us from moving forward getting back to normal too fast doesn't really work. The second unhealthy way we can respond to trauma is to dwell in it. We don't pretend it didn't happen. In fact, we do the exact opposite. We live in it. 
We stay in it. We become consumed by it. And that fear that lives in us as a result paralyzes us. We become afraid of everything around us. And our world gets filtered through that trauma. And if we aren't careful, we get stuck reliving that over and over and over again, never healing, never growing. Think of it like a hospital. Something happens to you and you end up in a hospital. There's a time of necessary healing when you're in a hospital. But the goal is never to stay there, is it? The goal is never to stay there. It's to get you to a place where you can go home where you can heal, where you can move on. And we see the possibility of trauma taking over in the life of Elijah. We can see that temptation in there. Verses three and four said this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day, day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He ran away out of fear and prayed that he might die. And if we remember his complaint to God, God, I did what you asked. I'm the only one left and I'm afraid because they're trying to kill me. It would have been very, very easy for him to continue down that spiral, that cycle of fear, continuing to play the victim and to get stuck in that state. And for us, we need to be careful about staying in trauma. A few weeks ago, we talked about a verse from Ecclesiastes that says there's a time to heal. And there is a time to heal. We aren't designed to stay in that state. Now, this all sounds pretty bleak when it comes to trouble. So what is God up to when we are in trouble? What is he doing in the story? What is God doing in our lives during our times of trouble? Well, we see in the life of Elijah a little bit about this. This is where God shows up in a big way. The first thing we see is God showing up in Elijah to provide him what he needs in that moment. He's going to provide him with food, and he's going to provide him with rest. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there was a head. There, by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. He provides him with what he needed, much needed food and rest. Then later he provides him with a renewed mission and a partner. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came into the desert of Damascus. And he asked him to appoint two different kings and to appoint his successor, who's gonna walk alongside him in his journeys, Elisha. He gives him a new mission, a new task, and a partner to go along with him. And the last thing he provides him with is encouragement. Encouragement. Verse 18, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He's not alone. He's not alone. God tells him. Notice what God doesn't tell him. Don't worry about Jezebel. It's fine. Don't worry about it. 
Don't worry about it. He doesn't say that, does he? See, instead, God was right there with him, taking care of him, giving him what he needs in that moment to get through it. Think about a time in your life when you had trouble, and then you look back on that time, and you can see God's provision. You can see God working in your life, giving you what you needed to get through it. See, we often want God to remove the trouble from our lives, but a lot of times he just walks alongside us, providing us with what we need to get through it. God will always be with us in the midst of trouble. But here's the thing, he doesn't stop there. And this brings us back to the third response we can have to trouble, and that's transformation. God wants to use trouble to help us grow. He wants us to use trouble not as a chance to get back to normal, but a chance to get back to better. You ever wondered, why can't God just use something good to teach me all the lessons? You know, I would be really, really happy to figure out how much growth I can do with the beach house. (laughs) Give me a beach house, I will find all the growth I can find there. Let's do that instead. But that's not what happens. God used trouble to help us grow. Now, why does trouble help us grow? Let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, there was, there's a, uh, uh, an intelligence test called the cognitive reflective test. And it's three simple questions that does a great job predicting intelligence. So we're going to see how intelligent everyone is in the room today. Uh, it, it, and it says this. This is one of the questions from the test. A bat and a ball cost 110 in total. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Anyone have a quick answer for that one? Ten cents is what we got. You, that's what you think. That's the normal response. That's what a lot of people will say. Okay, but the ball is one dollar more, or the bat's one dollar more than the ball. So the bat has to be a dollar and five cents, and the ball has to be five cents. This is one of the questions, and it's tricky. It's designed to mess you up. It's designed to trick you. So when they were giving this test out to students, they thought, "How do we improve the scores for everybody?" And they did something really interesting to improve everybody's scores that worked dramatically. They made the test harder. That doesn't make sense, but they made the test harder. This is what they did. They put it in 10% gray font and made it really, really difficult to read. Probably can't even barely even read that. Why? Why did this work? This worked because it forced the students to concentrate even harder on the problem. It drew their attention to it in a bigger, more dramatic way. And the more attention they paid towards the problem, the better the students did. The same thing is true with God using trouble in our lives. Trouble has a way of getting our attention on things that are missing in our lives or things that we are overlooking when times are going well. Our overspending habits didn't seem to be a problem while the company was doing really well. But now, we devoted too much energy to the kids and not enough to our marriage, and now they're no longer in the house. That low level level of anxiety that you were trying not to tell anybody about, 
and then a pandemic hits. Things going well covers over the cracks in our lives that are forming and widening, and it can be hard for us to change. Some you know, sports coaches will tell you they have a hard time getting through to their team when they're winning. The moment that loss comes, everyone's ready. Everyone's ready to hear what the coach has to say. God uses trouble to help us grow because it's the time when he can get our attention, isn't it? And trouble makes us remarkably open to change. Let's face it, most of us don't change unless we absolutely have to. The pain of staying the same has to be greater than the pain of growing for most of us to make changes. There's a, there's a new show out called uh, No Retreat Business Boot Camp uh, from Joe DeSena, the, the guy who started the Spartan races. And basically, he goes into struggling businesses who don't really realize what they're struggling with. He goes in, figures out what they need, and he sends them to his boot camp farm and puts them through all kinds of rigorous things that are designed to test them. But they're not just beating them up physically. They're designed to show them things that they need. They're, the one crew, they really, really want to do all kinds of expansion, but they did not have the ability to do it. So he, he hooks them all up to a 300-pound log and has them hike up a mountain. And then every so often, he hooks on another log to represent a new store that they're trying to open. Just to get the point across that you don't have enough to do this. And this is what happens. God uses trouble to grow us because it helps us pay attention to things we're missing. But he also wants us to get better. He has better things in mind for us. God is not content with us getting back to normal. No, he has so much better in store for us. Each of us has areas of our lives that aren't what they should be, areas that we can improve, things that need to change. And changing those things brings us more in line with following him, brings us closer to him, and it helps us live the lives we were intended to live. Elijah had things he needed to learn. He was burnt out. He'd allowed himself to become isolated. And he'd forgotten that God had a plan that was so much bigger and broader than what he knew. So what do we need to learn? What do we need to learn? Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's a habit that you really, really need to break. Maybe God's trying to work on discipline or relying on him or just realizing that it's okay to ask for help. So we may not like trouble, and we certainly don't wish for it. But that doesn't mean that God's not with us. And it doesn't mean he can't use it to help us grow. God doesn't want us getting back to normal after trouble. He wants us getting back to better. So he challenges us in times of trouble to look for how he is calling us to change and grow. When trouble hits, will we recognize the voice of God and the provision that he's providing us to get through it? Will we seek out where he's trying to help us grow? And will he help us? Will we lean in to his help to make the changes we need to make? If you want to respond to today's message, on your connection card it says this, I believe God wants to use my current situation to help me grow in what? What do you think that God wants you to grow in?
that he's using what you're going through right now to help you grow? What is it? Write it down. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that so often trouble comes our way. Some of it's our doing, and a lot of it isn't. And God, in those moments, it's difficult for us. It creates tension in our lives. It creates real moments of trauma. And God, sometime our temptation is to get stuck there. Blaming you or anybody else, God. And we sometimes really, really wonder where you are. But God, you've promised to walk alongside us, to be with us, to provide us with what we need. But God, you don't want us just leaving there. You want us to learn and change and grow. So God, help us today, whoever is facing trouble right now, to understand that we want, God, you want us to grow. You want us to use this opportunity to help draw us closer to you. God, thank you that you never leave us. God, help each of us to have the courage to look into our lives and see what we might have missed, areas in which we can grow. God, thank you that you are willing to help us move forward with those. So God, give us the courage to seek you and to seek the things that we need to change. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Thank you.